0: Formed a bunch of my scientific learning while I was in the southeast, because that's real deer biology there. I mean, you you know, it's not as you know, thousands of acres of corn and soybean fields, you got to dig in and do some real, real work down there. back at Southeast Whitetail and welcome to 2023. I appreciate everyone making last year of uh, 22 a very successful year for me with Southeast Whitetail, um, just expanding the brand. And um, that's what ultimately led me into launching Southeast Whitetail Consulting. Um, I, I've been sitting on that idea for a while and I just finally felt like it was a time to make that shift with that venture. So if you have any interest in bettering your land, your deer herd health uh working on quail population turkey whatever it might be improving your forestry work you know blending that with the wildlife work that you do streamlining your income uh from growing trees because that's that's i mean there's not many routes you can take to produce income in the south on your land that's legal. so um reach out to me i can customize plans whether it's a site visit a management plan whether you own land or lease land or have the hunting rights, just talk to me, engage with me, and maybe we can figure out a way that you know to kind of help meet your short and or long term goals. Uh, on the line today, I've got Ryan Griffiths from Athens, GA. Uh, it was a great conversation. He reached out to me and connected to me after the Robbie Pace episode. He knows Robbie, and uh, I'm glad. I'm glad Ryan and I connected. Um, he hunts in completely different terrain and landscapes than I do. Uh, he bow hunts, and he's highly successful. It's a great listen. I uh, appreciate all the feedback, and let's get right to it with Ryan Griffiths. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Southeast Whitetail. Thank you all for tuning back in this week. I've got a, a new guest lined up today from Athens, Georgia, Ryan Griffiths. Ryan, um, thanks for being on.
1: Well, thank you for having me. I, I greatly appreciate it. And uh, I like the platform, what you've done with it so far. It's, it's good to good to have that. And, you know, in the southeast, I know it's real popular out out west and up north. And uh, I think it's I think it's good for us to have our own down here. And, you know, everybody that knows what we do, it's good to interact and see how everybody else is doing it and, you know, the way they do it. So it's been been really neat to listen to so far.
0: I appreciate that yeah that's kind of one of the reasons why i started this It's just uh, i mean there's i mean per capita there's probably i believe there's more hunters in the southeast than definitely out in the midwest and um there's a lot of people hunting a lot of hunting pressure and a lot of deer so um it's uh there's a there's a lot of talk about down here i feel like
1: Oh yeah, for sure, and it seems like it's becoming more and more popular here. Um, you know, just just I've I've lived where I where I'm at for uh, pretty much all of my life, and it seems like there's more and more hunters that are are coming to the area, and um, you know that is particularly due, I think, to the size of the deer that George has been producing too. Um, you know, in certain areas that have gained a lot of attention over the past, you know, five, six, seven, eight years. Um, now I think that plays a big role in it too.
0: Definitely, yeah, it, it, it's, um, I think it's definitely been a, a pretty good shift. Um, a shift in that. Um, why do you think some reasons are why, you know, Georgia in particular is, is, get some more love past 10 years. But, but, but I mean, really, I mean, it's deserving deservingly. So, I mean, there there's been the amount of bucks, like big bucks and nice quality bucks that have been going down that I just see. I'm not talking about like, you know, state records, but just consistently in Georgia, I feel like is yeah. has changed since like when I was growing up in the nineties and early two thousands, but maybe that's just social media and, and we can see it more often, on our phones. Yeah. I don't really know. And I think
1: I think that has a lot to do with it. Um, you know, I look at even ten years ago. Um, you know, it seemed like the first thing you did when you killed a big deer is you sent a picture around to all your buddies and now it seems like somebody kills a big deer, first thing they're doing is posting it on social media for everybody to see and you know, it's not it's not hard today with all the you know all the exposure that some of these hunters get to figure out where they're hunting and some of them voluntarily, you know, voluntarily stay where they're at. And, and that, you know, is to me, is somewhat scary. Um, you know, I always like to use the, the example of the guys in Atlanta that hunt, um, these big subdivisions and that sort of thing, you know, they kill a couple 200 inch deer. And the next thing, you know, every door getting knocked on in every city in the state, um, people, people, you know, a, a lot of people that are from the country or the more rural parts of Georgia had no idea that some of these deer even existed in some of these spots. And then all of a sudden you've got 200 inch deer showing up, um, and they're figuring out where these deer are killed. Well, that changes the game for a lot of, a lot of guys. Um, you know, they know now that they can pick out some of these areas that are closer to homes and subdivisions and, and, and businesses and all of a sudden now you start seeing more 160s 70s 80s and you know just showing up everywhere and that that has a lot to do with it. a lot of these deer are targeted now to whereas a lot of times you know they've been missed for who knows how long they're not they're not Georgia's best kept secret anymore unfortunately but um you know i don't I, I don't have anything like that where i live there's obviously some big deer kind of close to where i am but nothing in that range which i'm somewhat thankful for because there's not as much pressure uh, around us as far as hunters coming in and you know trying to take over spots or gain permission where they you know somebody may already be hunting or so on and so forth
0: yeah I. I, I... I would agree with all that. Yes. Social media has definitely changed, um, changed things, uh, in the hunting world. I think some, some things for the, for the better and probably some things for the worse. but it's, um, I think it's more so for the better. Um, so where do you can tell us a little bit about where you hunt? You said you lived, lived in Athens, Georgia. You talk a little about, you know, where, where you hunt now has, have you been hunting that general region most of your life and, kind of paint us a picture of the,
1: of the area? Sure. So I, I grew up probably about 25 miles, um, Northeast of, of Athens. And that's where I grew up hunting. Um, I actually grew up hunting on a very famous country singers farm, uh, which was, you know, at the time I didn't realize what I had and, you know, what was, what was there. It's what I grew up doing. And, um, you know, I got to see a lot of deer, got to see a lot of big deer. Um, it was about a thousand acres um, was the entire, you know, span of the property. And there was a, there was a couple, couple guys that, that worked the farm that, that hunted there. And I, I kind of started following along on what they were doing, where they were doing it. And that's what started, I guess, all the chaos is I figured out, okay, well, you know, they're not just sitting on the edge of a field or, these guys are really getting after it they've got such a big piece of property and they're using it to their advantage and uh, i hunted there and um i got to i got to hunt there for a short time i actually missed a couple really big deer when i was really young i killed my first buck there uh, when i was still rifle hunting and saw some really really big deer um so that's kind of where it all started and then I, i got another piece of property that was uh, about 110 acres is what it was. And to me, that was and still is a big piece of property that's all wooded. Um, I hunted there for probably seven, eight years, somewhere in that range. And um, as I got a little bit older and started really just bow hunting, I, I realized how hard it was in 100 acres of timber to track down and find these deer. So uh, that's when I really kinda took a step back and said, Okay, well if this is what I've got to hunt now, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to really nail down what I'm doing and how I'm doing it and, and go from there. And that's kind of what started my love for hunting these big tracts of just thick, you know, nasty timber with creeks and ridges and, and that sort of thing. Um and that's all I've really ever hunted and that's what I hunt today. I've I've got right at you know, ninety acres that I hunt um that's all timber. And there is not an open spot on this on this ninety acres. It is it is all trees, it's brush. It's got some really thick parts and it's got some really, really big white oaks. Um, yeah. you know, on some of the big ridges. And that's that's what I've always kind of known to, to like and that's what I go for. When I look at a piece of property now, I don't look for, you know, maybe here's a good spot for a food plot or you know, I could cut down these trees and, and put a food plot here. I've never been able to actually go into a piece of property and do anything like that, which for a lot of people, that makes it a lot harder. Um, I have to leave the land like it sits. I can't go in and cut trees, thin trees, you know, hinge cut anything for bedding or browse, anything like that. Um, so that makes it a little bit tougher, but that's what I've kind of learned to, to do is to figure out okay well if i have to leave this piece of property in its natural state i've got to hunt it in its natural state and i've got to really move around and shuffle and and figure out what they're going to do without any kind of you know sway in the the deer's mind so okay well let's go to this food plot or you know let's let's go to this logging road that's been cut you know so that's been the biggest challenge is really being able to Figure out what to do without being able to do anything. I guess would be the the way that you know I would kind of look at it. Is here's what I got, and I got to use it, and have to use it like it sits and has been for the last hundred years.
0: Yeah, that I. Uh, well, I can go ahead and say, I can go ahead and say <laughs> that I I bet you're probably one of the better hunters I've talked to, if that's the style and how you hunt. Um, Yeah, I mean, food plots are great. Um, I don't really feel like supplemental food plots because that's what it is. They're supplemental Mm -hmm. feed sites. I don't think they probably do as much benefit as far as nutrition is what hunters think. Of course, they do add to it, but I think if if you're really trying to add in that protein from soybeans or whatever else, you need a lot of it and you need to, and this plants need to reach maturity and the deer don't need to eat them down before they can really mature out as a plant. And then you need to have warm and cool season plants. You need, you need to, it can't just be for a month, you know, to like, to like kill a So it can be done. And there's tons of, there's tons of biologists that talk about it, but I, I think people just think food plots are, something more than what they really are at times and a lot of times they're just kill sites because people and like yeah. I, some of our food plots aren't that big because that's just what we have to work with they're just old loading decks right. so they're and you know they're good but i, I prefer to hunt hunt them, um but not actually sitting on them uh, I mm-hmm. hunt the deer going to and from them and sometimes it's not i'm right. not even on top of them i'm a thousand yards away but i know they're going to it um so i got a lot of questions here Yeah. when okay first are you bow only
1: i am bow only i've been bow only um for probably about 16 years now it's what i've been but
0: and when do you start hunting like so what's your I kind of want to run through your season, mostly because of what you just talked about as far as where you hunt, how you hunt, and what the terrain looks like. It's very intriguing for me, and I would think for a lot of people, because it's not, you know, you're not sitting on a food plot, you're not sitting on an ag field, you're not sitting on a corn pile, so I'd love to to kind of dive into your typical season. So when, when do you usually start hunting?
1: So I typically, um, the what what I do the first, I guess, two to three weeks of the season, um, I, I'm not real active. I'm not one of those that's going to go after that real early season bug. Um, they're very predictable, yes. Um, I typically like to hang pretty, pretty low. Um, I, I don't get real aggressive. I may sit on a few spots that are more observation spots. And I, I like to see kind of what the – what the deer are doing what they're going to early in the season Um, i typically won't get real close to bedding early in the year i really kind of i start getting fired up about Uh, mid-october mid-october to me is the time that i start looking at okay well now that i've got all this data from the summer or you know the past three weeks i i tend to play the last you know week and a half to two weeks of October if I have a big deer I want to go after I use that two weeks to determine where I'm going to go um, and how I'm going to hunt this deer if I have one to hunt Um, I, I look at I have more white oaks than you could ever imagine on this 90 acres that I have now it's incredibly hard to hunt over food where I am just because I could pick a random tree on this 90 acres and have a white oak um, that's going to drop acorns within bow range doesn't matter I could pick a throw a throw a dart at the map of this property and I'm going to have a white oak within bow range there's so many white oaks that drop acorns so these deer have all this food um that they can go to it at, at any point and they can get that they can go more than one direction to get to so it's really It gets tough to figure out, okay, where is this buck going to go, and at what time um, is he going to go there, and and what makes him go to this specific spot? He can go anywhere he wants, you know, why is he going to this one specific spot, and how am I going to cut him off before he gets to the food source he's going to? That's what I really look at in October, is if I have a big deer, where is he going, why is he going there, can I get to him, you know somewhere in between where he's bedding and, and where he's going in the afternoons and I always go back to this example last year uh, I had a really nice eight pointer that pretty much hung around all year and I've got tons of video of this one particular eight um super nice three-year-old um started early in the year in, in late September got some good footage of him. he was hanging out in this one spot bed there early early in the year and he was actually traveling in the afternoons in early October um, roughly three quarters of a mile every afternoon this deer would move from where he was bedded uh, three quarters of a mile to a group of white oaks and to me that really changed the the total outlook for me on this property is this deer's going a long ways to eat in this one you know five acre section of trees and it keeps me up at night because i can't figure out why i don't know why he's going there what drives this deer all the way from you know where he's bedding at he's walking through white oaks that are probably dropping acorns on his head to get to this other section of trees maybe he feels comfortable there i don't know um you know so that's kind of when i start to really nail down where's this bug going and why is he going there and you know i'll hunt fairly hard the end of October I won't hunt any mornings I'm an afternoon only hunter from opening day here in September until the rut Um, once November gets here is when I really crank it up and if I'm going to kill a big deer that's usually when it's going to be I'm at least going to have an opportunity at some point from November 10th to the 15th so from the 10th to the 15th um, everything that I was doing in October has completely changed that, that 10th through the 15th, I'm no longer, if I haven't killed a deer or haven't got that deer picked out, um, I've switched tactics 100%. Um, I, I'm hunting on the, the totally opposite side of my 90 acres, which is still just all white oaks and trees, um, a lot of brush, that sort of thing. And, and so I keep bouncing around and then, you know, my buddies all like to make fun of me because I'll move a stand in a certain spot, three, four, five, 10 times in the matter of a year, depending on what I'm seeing, where I'm, where I'm seeing it at. Um, it, it's, it's changing rapidly. I'm, I'm not the hunter that's going to hang a stand and I'm not going to sit there the entire year. Um, now that I've had this property for, oh gosh, I've hunted this piece for probably four or five years now. It's it really evolved uh, from, from the first, I guess good year that I had um I wouldn't say that there's a lot of stands in the same places they've moved every year whether it be 10 yards or 50 yards to to get in better better locations and I think a lot of times hunters make the mistake of hanging a stand somewhere you know especially if you've got a lot of timber like I have um you know it can really cost you and i'm the one that if i see a buck do the same thing twice just out of range i'm not waiting on him to come to me i'm going to him at that point um that's the kind of kind of the style that i have is i'm bouncing around this 90 acres depending on what time of the year it is and i will never sit the same spot all year long i think that's that's bad for a lot of guys that that are trying to kill a big deer because deer are not gonna They're going to evolve throughout the year and and move from you know different spots and and how they're going to travel these spots really changes in november where i am so it's just uh you know i've done it so long now four or five years at this piece of property i am i'm on the move constantly i am moving stands every year there's a lot of things that people don't realize that change the way a deer moves it may be a tree that's fallen um you know an old dead pine tree that fell over, and all of a sudden that's changed you know a trail for a deer 40 forty fifty yards now, so it's a lot of things like that that I really try to pay attention to. I try to pick apart the terrain um and you know see why they're why they're maybe now they're traveling more so this way than they were the year before. What's changed? Was it something that my neighbor's done? Did he you know go in and and Clean up some of his land and that's changed how they're moving or is it just the undergrowth that they could feed on three years ago is now too high for them to feed on it's just it's a lot that's changing rapidly and you got to change with it you know if you want to if you want to stay close to the big deer so hopefully that gives you a little bit of an idea I'm, I'm very mobile on my 90 acres and I, it will it will never change I'll I'll still be mobile three years from now probably won't be you know hunting where I am now.
0: Yeah, that that's the best way, I think. To, like you said, to uh, stay on the deer as they evolve and change their patterns throughout the season. What can you talk to us? Tell us a little bit about uh, what does deer bedding look like um, in your area, and are you do you see bucks and does tend to kind of bed in the same type, same type place?
1: Well, so early in the year. Um, most all of the deer are gonna bed in I've got three big main bedding areas. Um, so they will they will all typically bed in those three areas. Um, they may intermingle and you know, most of the time early in the year the bucks will all be laid up together in the same group of, you know, trees with the does. Um, as the year goes on, I notice that the bedding actually changes. Um I would say from the end of November until, you know, the end of January, they actually shift how they're bedding and where they're bedding. And again, this goes back to me being very, very mobile and changing where I'm hunting it, depending on the time of the year. Um, I have a huge hillside. Um, I have a, a very, very tall in the center of the property. There's a, there's a big ridge. I actually have nicknamed this place it I call it Kill Hill. Um, it's very, very you know it, late in the year it's a very good spot to be because the Bucks have now shifted their bedding from the thick you know dense real heavy underbrush and cover to they'll lay on the back side of this hill and almost the wide open um, they'll either lay there or they've transi- transitioned to um, some I would say it's probably half as thick and half as as nasty of the cover that they had to where they bed early in the year. Um, I don't really know why they like to lay there later in the year. I'm not sure. There's way less cover for them. Um, On the hillside, I had a, a buck three years ago that I really wanted to kill and um, he was bedding on this hillside every day, laying in the wide open. And, and I say wide open. I mean, there's some dead fall. Um, you know, there's not any brush. There's not any cover for them. You can see a long ways in there. They'll get up and lay up against some old fallen trees, limbs, that sort of thing. And this buck was laying there. And I think it could have a lot to do with the direction of the wind later in the year. To me, it seems like the wind where I'm at is is more out of the West and the way the wind blows, it's blowing primarily off that hillside down that hill. So I think those bucks are using that to their advantage. They can see down into the bottoms in the creek, and they've got the wind, you know, basically coming right over their back, and that covers them from both both sides. So, you know, later in the year, it's a little bit tougher to get into some of these spots because they're laying out in the open to whereas early in the year, um, you know, they're laying where it's so thick you couldn't you you can't walk through it. So it's it changes throughout the year. And I have to that's why I'm constantly shifting is because I know after the rut, okay, now this buck is either going to be laid up on this hillside or he's gonna be laying where it's not as thick, but he may be able to see me from a long ways away.
0: Yeah that 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 sounds familiar to, to some areas I hunted uh for a while over in Alabama um and kind of there in their late you know later uh rut mm-hmm. part of the season um and the I think, I think it's called the black belt kind of area of Alabama but mm-hmm. it, it's just some rolling hills and some what I would call like, you know, like little valleys between said rolling hills. And yeah, a lot of times this bucks would just sit. Um, there was one buck in particular I was hunting, and it, you know, he would be from what we believed down in one of those kind of valleys up against a up against a hill. And, you know, um, and you know, getting in close, it's like that was definitely a challenge trying to get getting close to him because he can, you know, see so much better as opposed to, you know, if if you're in some thicker, nastier stuff, I feel like you can maybe get away with a little bit more as long as, as long as you're, you know, um, you got the wind in your favor. I would imagine wind and thermals are probably pretty challenging for you based on what you're telling me.
1: They are the, um, you know, I can just about bank on that if I have a bug late in the year, um, that, that that hillside is, is it's going to make or break whether or not I kill that buck. And, you know, that same buck that I was just talking about that was laying up on that hillside, the way that he would come late in the, in the year is he would always make a big swooping circle, you know, on the low side of that hill before he'd come up to the hilltop. And I realized he'd do that because even with the west wind, those thermals are pulling so hard down that hill. Um, Even a wind that wasn't as west, um, you know, maybe if it had a little south end, a lot of people don't realize that south wind, when it settles, if it's not constantly blowing, those thermals are still pulling west, you know, down that hill to that buck. And he knows that. And that's why he's doing that. And, you know a lot of people may say well i'll hunt that you know the wind's perfect for here well in reality it's really not um yeah you can feel the wind in your face but what you can't feel is you know 30 40 yards behind you when when what you felt has dissipated well now it's being drugged down that hill and straight to that buck and that's what that buck was doing was every afternoon he was circling around the bottom of that hillside just walking as as much of that hillside as he could before it leveled out and then he would come on up to the top. And the day that I shot that deer, um that's what he did. He 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 was uh, the wind was actually in a, out of a very weird direction. I'm not sure. I think it was out of the north. Um and you know, he got to the point to where he was dead downwind of me, and he kind of got spooky on me and it wasn't that he the wind was bad, it was just the thermals late in the day they were just pulling down that hill and he knew what he was doing a lot of people don't give those bucks credit they're smart they're doing that for a reason they're not just walking you know that hillside because it's an easy walk up. he's really picking up everything he can before he gets up to the top and you know unfortunately, I hate to say this i I made a bad shot on that buck, and you know he was once he once he had me pegged and knew I was there I was already a full draw on him and it was a a little bit longer shot than I wanted to take and um you know it was a non-lethal shot and the buck lived and and you know that was the end of that but it's definitely tough just because you can't rely on that wind alone to be your saving grace because it never is especially on the very very tip top of a hill I've noticed I used a lot of um oh gosh what's the stuff called that the hunting public guys use the uh, the light fluffy. So, um, uh, um,
0: milkweed. Milkweed,
1: yeah. So, I've I've gotten to where I use it pretty much all the time now, and um, it's very weird. What I've noticed is I'll I'll throw out this stuff just all afternoon. Sometimes when there's a steady breeze, and the way that the wind will sometimes hit that hillside, I'll notice it'll pick it up. You know, and then it'll actually fall back down the way the wind is coming from, and I'm not sure if it's what what effect the hillside has on you know the the very tip top of that hill has on that wind, but it will actually pick it up and it'll actually suck it back down the way it came from. And I was like, man, this is not what I'm expecting. You know, so that it's really tough to figure out on those big hilltops what that wind's going to do. The thermals are dragging against you the whole time, so it. You know, once I find a buck I want to go after, it's got to line up a hundred percent, or he's got all the advantages to use against me.
0: Yeah that, that that's some tough that's some tough hunting when you when you when you've got those elevation changes and thermals and because just like what you said, those deer, you know they 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 are smart, um, and you know they, they they're not. They they are very smart and you know they just I mean their 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 mo in life is to survive. I mean it sounds you know it sounds like a sounds like a obvious statement, but I mean they're they're a prey species and they've Mm -hmm. been around for a long time and 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 what they need to do daily is to eat and they got to eat a lot throughout the day Mm -hmm. and they got to hide they got to survive and that's it and then. One time a year, they start breeding, and that's it. I mean, it's just, you know, so, um, so they're going to be somewhere where, um, where it's safe. So, you know, one thing that comes to mind hearing you talk, and I definitely want to talk about to, to get down the road on, on some of these bucks you've killed, because I know you've got, some, you've got some big ones on the wall, but um, how in the world are you – everything you've described – and I, of course, haven't hunted with you. You haven't been, you know, I, but you've described the property and I can, I can picture it and you're hunting in mm-hmm. your hunting afternoons. How are you getting out of these? I guess what I'm saying, how are you getting in and out? How are you bow hunting these areas where there's no distinct travel routes? There's no distinct pinch points, destination food plots, that kind of stuff but you're getting in and out undetected and you can hunt these, these size tracks land throughout the season and consistently have buck encounters.
1: Sure. So it's, you know, this particular piece, piece of property that, well, I always like to go back to 2015. I killed one of the the best deer that I've ever killed with a bow. Um, And I had, I had this buck kind of pinned down and I, I knew where he was where he was sleeping i knew what he was going to feed on at night and i had an idea of how he was getting to where he was and essentially what i did and i still have this piece of paper today i printed out an aerial map and this was 2015 i went and printed it out and i said you know here's my three cameras that i have that i'm going to use to figure out where i'm going to be able to go when i'm going to be able to get in there and to hopefully be undetected because at this time i hadn't really pinpointed where he was laying i had an idea so what i did is every time i would get a picture of this buck i would get another picture of him i had it set up to where i had moved i had i had i started out with about seven trail cameras in about a 20 acre block of, of timber and I started weeding them down to where I was. I knew where he was going. I knew what trail he was going to take. I knew what tree he was going to eat out from under. And I started marking uh, with, a, with an ink pen. I would mark from a straight line from the trail camera picture that I got first. If he ended up at, you know, the other trail camera within 20, 30 minutes, I'd draw a straight line to it. And I did this over and over and over and over again until I had enough data on this piece of paper to look at, okay, this is where he's going. He's got to be traveling this route. And I said, if I'm going to get in there, I can't, I've got to stay far enough away from that and just hunt the outskirts of it because i know he's going to come through there at some point and, and again this is all timber there's no trails there's no nothing is defined all i have is what i have on my paper um, to use to my advantage and so i have this essentially this buck map is what i called it and i've got all these lines going from one trail camera to another and occasionally i'd have him on the third camera but it wasn't consistent enough for me to know that he was going over there. Um, enough for for me to really scare him or or mess up you know mess up seeing him because at this point i had no stands up i had no nothing up so what i did is i took all that and i said okay it was october probably 20th um was around about the time frame i said okay well i know where he's going to eat i know what camera he's going by coming out of bedding and i had a general direction that i had to to use to my advantage to to get in up a stand and then i actually killed him that afternoon and you know i set the stand up and shot him three hours later and to me that was the only way had i not i would have come in from the total wrong side of the piece of property where i originally had planned to shoot this deer and you know i kind of use that same strategy now i know where i have to walk and at what time to get in and out now during the rut i am a lot of people may think i'm crazy but during the rut, I really don't pay a whole lot of attention to my entry and exit. Um, I use the brightest white light that I can find in a headlamp to get in the mornings. And, you know, a, a deer has no idea what a white light is. They don't, they, they have no way to associate that with danger. They don't know what it is. Um, they don't associate it with the hunter. They, they have no way to do that. So what I do in the mornings during the rut is I'm walking in with this brightest light and if I see eyes whether it be 50 yards or you know 150 yards through the timber I'm locked onto that that buck or that doe or whatever it is and this year I had two um encounters that you know were pretty distinct and they were both really big deer and I actually videoed one of them because I couldn't believe it I I parked my side by side and I started the walk and it's a pretty good walk it's probably 600 yards to where I was going on this ridge I hunt and I turned my headlamp on and I'm immediately scanning the woods to figure out where the deer are, what they are and the direction they're going before I, I walk in. And I start walking down the side of this ridge and I look over and there's a doe 30 yards from me. Well, lo and behold, there's a really, really nice buck 10 yards behind her. He's locked down on her and I'm sitting there looking at them. They're looking at me and I pretty much walk backwards for the next, I don't know, 60, 70 yards. Um, with my headlamp on them until I was far enough away that I could turn around and, and keep moving. Um, they never spooked. They, you know, didn't really run off. They didn't do anything until I was gone. And as far as I know, they just, you know, went on about their business. Well, the the next morning or two, same thing. You know, I'm walking in. I'm finding the deer, figuring out where they are. I, and if there's a big enough deer in there, I want him to know that I'm coming from as long of a distance away as I possibly can. I want to give him enough time to say. I don't know what that is coming, but I should probably head down this hillside and get out of here. And that's what I've done. And I've had a really good success with that. Um, I had a really, really great 10-pointer this year that had shown up probably early to mid-October and just a beautiful three-year-old 10-pointer. I've decided that I wasn't going to shoot him as hard as it was for me to to not kill this deer because he, he was re- you know a real nice buck. And I saw him going in on the, the second day of my rut hunt and I, I take off the week every year for the rut and I saw this buck and you know I walked pretty much within 30-40 yards of him at the base of my tree and I kept my headlamp on him the whole time and I would not take it off of him until he walked away and got out of there and let me continue on and you know he ran off and, and that sort of thing once he figured out something wasn't right but I, anytime I have a chance to really spotlight that buck in the woods I'm locked onto him and I'm not taking it off until he knows that, you know, he needs to get out of there. And 30 minutes after daylight, the buck was right back in there. So, you know, is it a crazy theory? Possibly, does it work? Absolutely, Um, so that's what I do going in during the rut. In the afternoons, you know, the rut really changes everything as far as where these deer are going. They're up all day running, cruising, chasing, whatever they're doing. Um, I I tend to want to use the lowest possible elevation I can to get in. Um, That's what I do. uh, You know, for the most part, going in is I'm way far from bedding. I'm trying to use the outskirts of the property, um, the hillsides. But again, you know, as we get later into December and January can't really hunt where I normally would because there's eyes on you the whole time so it's really knowing where they're going to be laying how to get in and out and really using the that elevation to my advantage is what I try to do now I'm not always successful at it I'll be the first to say that I I bump deer on accident all the time um, just because you know you never know when a a deer's going to get caught laying somewhere they usually don't and that happens, but to me the elevation, you know, wind going in, it, it's it's tough. Anytime you have this big elevation to to use the wind because it's going to get to them at some point. How far that's going to be away um is it, tough to determine, you know, because you don't know where that buck's laying on the hillside. But you know, he's probably going to get a whiff of you at some point going in. Is it going to be strong enough to spook him, or are you going to get lucky? You know, so that's what I really try to do is use the elevation as much as I can. Um, I've got a couple different access points to certain stands that I try to use when I can, but it's, you know, that big timber late in the year, they're they're laying everywhere and, and anywhere they can, especially those bugs. So it's definitely tough, but I've kind of got it down to a site to where I know, uh, you know, where I can get in with bumping the least amount of deer anyway.
0: Yeah, I like that theory about, you know, walking in, um, with the, with, with the light. So I've got to ask you, why don't you hunt mornings? Well,
1: deer are most, in my opinion, you know, early in the year and then, then late in the year, um, a buck is really unpredictable in the morning. You really, unless you know exactly where that buck's been at night, you don't know where he's, where he's coming back from. and you know I've I bumped some some bucks in the morning early in the season and then later in the season just because I had no idea that you know maybe this buck you, you know where he's bedding you know where he's going back to but you don't know where he's at the time you're going in in the mornings right. um you know, so I hate bumping a buck alone to me that's worse than bumping one that's with a doe during the rut um you know, I hate driving past them in my side-by-side in the morning, you know, going in, because these deer may be seven, 800 yards from where they're bedding, and now all of a sudden you've changed this buck's direction, and he's going to maybe ease off to the other side, whereas, you know, he may have just went back up, went across the, you know, whatever food source you may be hunting. To me, it's way tougher to pattern a morning buck early in the year and late in the year, and it, it's way more risky. I'm, I try to be very, very calculated. If I'm going to pick out a target and kill him, I want to make sure I know where he's at at all times if I can. I know that's impossible to do, but in the morning time, you have no idea where this buck is. You don't know where he's coming from. It's just so much harder in the morning to pinpoint where he's standing when you're walking in. Um, so that's And, you know, every year, just last week, actually, um, I've got another really nice 10 over here that I've kind of had my eye on. I hadn't decided 100% yet if I'm going to pursue him, but he's pretty regular in the mornings. And, you know, um, I get these pictures of him just out in front of the sand on his way back to bedding, and I'm like, you know, if I was there, I'd kill him, but I don't know where he's at at the point to where I would be walking in. So... You definitely don't want to bump a buck several times trying to kill him in the morning. I just think you're going to do more harm than good. I know there's a lot of guys that kill a lot of bucks in the morning time this this time of year and even early in the year. More power to them. I just – once I find that target, I'm going to have him pinned down in the afternoon this time of year, and that's when I'm going to kill him.
0: Yeah, I you know, I've had – I tend to have more success with with morning bucks um, in the early season, whether it's August or September, mm-hmm. or potentially, potentially even October, for us, it's like by the time late September, like mid late September, there's that September shift, um, mm-hmm. and then until the pre, until those bucks are really kind of showing themselves and they're kind of gearing up for those first does in heat, they're they're, they're highly unpredictable. I mean, you just kind of right. really don't know, but in the early season, when they're still before that testosterone really starts to kind of flare up, um, they, they, they can be more predictable as far as what they're going to be doing it, you know, throughout the night, but it's just where they're going to be feeding, you know, right. And that, that, and then where they're going to be bedding. And, you know, I, I we, we, you know, have, we're mostly on, on a pine farm, so we fragment the land, have different age class of pine trees. So you know that there's going to be some bedding sites that they're going to prefer. But I mean, shoot, mm-hmm. he, he's deer can bed any which way. And I, and I, uh, I'm a firm believer in the south. And then a lot of these GPS studies, when you see the stuff that comes out from like Mississippi State University, and them putting these, you know, tracking. Uh, you know, aerial maps showing how these bucks move throughout the season. I mean they they don't they don't have one particular. Well, let me finish that. They they typically in the South do not have like one particular betting site. They'll bet all over, right. and especially during the rut. I mean, during the rut, it's, it's kind of it. It kind of gets talked about, but I don't really feel like I've never heard anybody really just break it down where it's like. Throughout, throughout most of the year, bucks and does are going to have kind of where they want to bet, you know, where they know, they know it like the back of their hand kind of thing, and they a handful of safe spots. Well, during the rut, when these bucks are truly chasing does that are in heat, and they're all over the place, I mean, are they going back? Are, are these bucks going back to their safety areas? Or because they're so jacked up and like, they don't, they don't just start chasing does in the morning and afternoons when we're hunting. They're doing it 24 seven. So, you know, they got to be betting and I've jumped them on roads, like roads on our property. You just, you know, like you're walking Mm -hmm. into walking into hunt, you jump a buck, maybe it's with a doe. And so like, they're just, I feel like they just kind of lay down when it's time in their mind to lay down for whatever reason and like wherever the, wherever they are. So that's why when you talk about how you hunt, and the style, like, it's, what you're describing is extremely challenging. Um, okay. yeah. And what I, and that's why I asked that question about the mornings, and that's why I asked that question about um, your access, not educating deer, because when I hunt mobile, which is about 98% of how I hunt, it's just all with my climber, with my buckshot climber, or my lone wolf uh, lock on, i more so think about like, where's my scent going? Like, I know where I want to hunt, but it's like, where's my right. scent blowing? And because where my right. scent blows, I am, I am educating some deer and then I got to walk right. out. And so that's, and that's right. another reason why I asked about, about the mornings, because you, and, and, and you even mentioned it, how, you know, do you feel like you can get away with more with deer walking in, in the morning and dark or leaving it dark or do you you think there's a difference when it's pitch black dark one way or the other
1: well i really don't know if there's a, a difference the only difference that i can really think of is if you're in the morning time um you have an influence on where that deer was going um where their final destination may have ended up being in the afternoons you know that deer's already where that deer wanted to go where you're sitting at that deer's there um you know that was their destination spot when they got up from bedding um so uh, you know to me it's gonna it's really hard to say just because I'd rather I'd rather bump a deer getting down in the afternoon whether it be a bunch of does or or anything I I had my opportunity and the deer came to where they're going to be and you know chances are once I leave and and they're gone um they're going to come right back you know in the morning time it seems like if you if you bust a bunch of deer out you've really changed those deer may now say okay well i'm going to go lay over here now instead of where i was going um Mm -hmm. there could be danger that way you know and it may have been the direction i walk in may be the the path that that deer wanted to travel and they're surely not going to do it now so i think it has more impact in the mornings than it does in the afternoon just because you're at that destination in the afternoons now as far as going out um you know on on your long walk out you know, again, I go back to that headlamp. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to bright light that deer on the way out until they give them as much notice as I can for them to get out of there and not associate me with danger in any way. Um, you know, that, that's kind of how I look at it.
0: Do you, um? let me start that question over. Um, I'm assuming, and correct, me, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the area you hunt. I know it's a lot of hardwoods, and I take it. I mean, like right now, we've had a lot of rain in the south so far. We got some more rain coming in. It, it's probably a little bit quieter, but when it's dry, I bet it's extremely loud walking in. Is that correct? It is. It, it, yeah. it, it's
1: tough. Oh, especially especially during the the rut when you you've got most of the leaves on the ground, and, mm-hmm. and even this time too. Um, you know, usually you're going to get that first frost in that second to third week of november usually um there's nothing worse than a dry leaf that's covered in ice so it is (laughs) definitely because you can it just seems like i'm making the most racket that i can make but i really don't pay that much attention to it going in um the noise doesn't bother me Uh, i'm i'm okay with the noise um you know if you've ever heard several deer running through the woods you know they make a lot of racket too and if a deer can't see me a deer has no idea um you know what that noise is and again it all goes back to what these deer maybe comprehend as danger or spookiness you know if they're close enough to hear you they're going to be close enough to see you too so i always go back to in the morning times i'm trying to sneak in and it's making the most racket i can make walking through crunchy leaves if You know, I'm close enough that that deer's gonna hear me. I've got a light on him anyway. I'm trying to push him out of there as quickly as I can so that I can continue to walk in. Same thing in the afternoons. You know, it's tough to. I try to walk either one as much in the creek as I can, depending on where I'm going, or I have a, a UTV trail where I go in and check cameras and stuff like that. And over time, those leaves kind of disintegrate and it's a little bit quieter, but you're still you're still going to make some noise going in. And, you know, they, to me, it seems like a deer's going to hear you right around 70 yards. That's kind of what I, I try to keep up with this stuff. I know it sounds crazy, but um, you know, 70 yards, a deer can hear you walking through the leaves pretty easily.
0: Huh? Yeah. I've I, I never really thought about that. And I've never heard anybody, you know, kind of talk about that, but yeah, I, I, I would say I never thought about it, but yeah, that's probably about right. Yeah. I mean, at a certain distance, they know right. like what, what the hell you are. I mean, they know you're not another deer oh, yeah. or a raccoon <laughs> or possum Yeah, that, that's why I mentioned that. Cause I mean, I know, I know based on what you're describing, it's going to be loud. And on top of that, it, if you're in some open kind of areas, um, oh, yeah. a little more open, it's just gonna, it's just gonna echo. And so you, I, I kind of, I subscribe that theory in the mornings and I'm not saying I'm, I mean, who knows, these are wild animals, but I just, I'm like you with a big, bright headlamp. I think it makes mm-hmm. a world of difference and you just, I, I, I try to be as quiet as I can, but I try to move as fast as I can I, being quiet, right. but just to go. And what I've found is like, if you see those eyes, whether they're bedded mm-hmm. down or, or on or or standing up if you just move you can look at them if you just kind of keep moving you can right. get away with a lot more but if you stop and you kind of try to flash them different different angles eventually you're going to flash yourself you're going to catch some some light on yourself or your stand's going to cling or just kind of move and deer it's like they can get away with more i know i know coon hunters talk about it all the time but you know they you know claim uh, I joke about coon hunters. I, my cousin's coming in and he's got a coon hound, and we're gonna run him um, after the season's over, try to take take out some of his predators before turkey season. But right. coon hunters always talk about how it doesn't mess up deer, you know, deer hunting. That like you know, they 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 can come on your property, coon hunt at night, and you can run and hunt the next morning and not mess anything up. And I was like, well, I don't know about that, but um, but yeah, I mean, you see videos. Someone sent me a video last night. It, it was um. Um, I have to send it to you. It, it's, uh, it's a duck hunter. I don't know where it is, but uh, it's pitch black dark, and there's a big buck, like a big old 10-point tall tines right in the middle of, of his mallard decoy spread. And he's just, he's just standing there in about maybe a, maybe a foot of water, if that. And he's wow. got a big old bright white light. You know, the camera guy's holding, and you don't really see where the light's coming from, but it's obviously a headlamp, and that buck kind of walks towards him. It almost looks like right. he's gonna. It almost looks like he wants to lock up, and then he kind right. of takes a step back. in. but I mean, the, the bucks twenty yards away. And I, I mean, I don't know how that happened, but I but I do feel like you can you can get away with a lot more. So, um, let's talk about some of these bucks you've killed. What what um, how's your how's your season been so far uh, this year? And I know you've and I know you've you've uh, killed some um, high scoring bucks right in the past.
1: Uh well, I've killed a couple um you know, I've been trying to break that that hundred and forty inch mark um the past probably three years now that's really been my main goal is um to the point now to where I've killed a lot of nice bucks and I wanna up that bar you know even more now that's kind of where I'm at in I guess my hunting career or you could say um that's what I've been going for now i I wasn't able to kill a buck last year because you know everything that I had was. You know i saw saw a really nice buck but you know 120 one you know 125 115 inch bucks are plentiful where i'm at and you know as a bow hunter where i am you know 120 inch deer is a shooter for most people oh, yeah. and it, it's really tough to pass those bucks it's gotten easier the you know especially this year um as, as i mentioned to you earlier i i took off during the rut and i had i had 16 bucks that I knew about, um, had a picture of leading up to the rut that I had in bow range in my six day hunt, 106 uh, hunted six days in a row, I had all 16 bucks within 50 yards of me at least once. And uh, one morning particularly, and I have some great video of it, um, the, the really nice 10 pointer that I had, which was the biggest deer on my property. Um, there was a hot doe, I mean, right up under me. And there was a huge three-year-old seven pointer that was just a massive deer. And, and he was in there and I had another super nice, probably 115 inch eight pointer um, in there with him. And then all of a sudden down the hillside comes this 10 pointer. And I mean, puts on a show in front of me and, you know, it was tough watching that buck and and not shooting him, but I had him within 20 yards, um, three days in a row. Hmm. So I knew that I was in the right spot to kill a big deer. Um, I just didn't have that target picked out. Um, I saw, like I said, 16 different bucks that I knew about that I had in range. And, um, uh, a couple of them I only saw once and that was, that was it. And the morning, I guess it was Monday morning. It was actually the first morning I hunted. Um, or actually I hunted that Sunday afternoon I saw a really nice nine pointer um, nice three-year-old nine pointer walking the hillside behind a doe and he stopped to make a scrape and he kind of fell over like on his front knees I guess you would say and I I was just very kind of caught off guard by that because I spend a lot of time I really analyze every single bug that I see I love to see what they're doing and why they're doing it. And this buck kinda of fell over and I was like, Man, he must have been chasing this deer for the past three miles if he's that tired. So never pick my bow up. I had already decided it wasn't a buck I was gonna shoot and let him go. You know, the afternoon was kinda of uneventful after that. Well, the very next morning, um, I saw him coming back by and he was a lot closer this time. He was probably, you know, in that thirty five yard range and I got an even better look at him and he just was acting very, very strange, and I knew something wasn't right because I've seen enough bucks during that time of year to know what they do and how they do it and why they do it, and he just looked sick, and I couldn't figure out what was going on, and I said, well, maybe I, sh- I should have shot that buck. I just had this gut feeling that wasn't right, and I was texting my buddy Chris that I, have, I hunt with a lot, and I was like, you know, I probably should. Could shoot this deer and I may if I get another chance at him I may shoot him and see what's going on so lo and behold about I don't know 45 minutes later here he comes back cruising this hillside and this buck walked headfirst into the biggest white oak you have ever seen and it was at that point that I knew something wasn't right so I picked my bow up and I shot him and he's a great deer don't get me wrong um I hated to shoot him, but I felt like it was the right thing to do, given the circumstances. So I got down there to him, and when I walked up to him, I noticed there was a huge bulge on kind of below his eye in front of his ear. And I said, well, that makes more sense now that something is going on with this bug that, you know, I made the right decision. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, and I'm I'm kicking myself the whole time. So I'm like, gosh, you know, this year next year could, could be, you know, mid to upper 130s. And I'm like, you know, and then I saw that and I was like, well, maybe this was the right decision. So long story short, I get him back to the house and I get to examine him a little bit more and come to find out. And I haven't seen it yet. I'm still waiting to see it. Um, There was a hole in his nose and as soon as i saw it i knew exactly what it was and i couldn't i couldn't believe it um somebody had actually shot this deer um through the face with an arrow and mm. it was still in him and well. it is still in him now and i don't know if it had caused him to if it had severed something you know optical that was causing him to go blind or if the swelling was maybe impacting his brain and his overall function. I'm really not sure. I know deer are tough and they can really overcome a lot of things, but this was probably the most incredible thing that I've ever seen. This deer was still chasing these does and he's got a broken arrow shaft through his head. Mm -hmm. So, you know, (laughs) I I did kill a nice buck and I'm happy about it. It's just the most interesting thing that I think I've seen and reason that I've actually killed a buck Um, so that's you know that's what I've killed this year I I haven't found another target that I've really been excited about Um, you know the the biggest deer that I killed I actually this is also a really wild story I almost hit the buck going in this in the morning in my truck And my access led me through the back of a really big subdivision and was just easier access than than busting them out going in and I actually almost not run him over but he was within 20 yards of the front of my truck and I texted my buddy Chris and I was like you're not gonna believe the buck I just saw, I was like he was probably one of the bigger deer I've ever seen and. I would say probably two hours later this buck i'm rattling real real hard real heavy it's what i do you know during the rut if i'm getting ready to throw that hail mary before i get down and this buck comes running i mean just hauling the mail through the woods and i ended up killing him and he's the biggest deer i've ever killed but um you know it's been a little bit slower for me the past couple of years just because i've really tried to up the bar and and get after a lot bigger deer and you know unfortunately my neighbors have just about killed every deer that i passed and you know he'll he'll send me a picture of one hey you seen this this buck that so and so killed this morning and I'll send him a video of it at 15 yards you know (laughs) like yeah I've I've seen him um you know a a time or two and you know that's the hard part about doing this now is I've got neighbors that are going to kill pretty much everything that is 115 inches or bigger or three-year-old or bigger and to me that I realized my odds of of breaking that 140 inch deer are going down um you know even more than I thought just because for for one where I'm at it it's hard to to get a deer to grow that big just because there's no big ag there's not a lot of protein around here except for what they get that's you know growing on the trees or on the ground um that's all you know natural so it's been a tough two or three years. Um I'm still gonna stick it out. I'm not gonna, you know, go back to my old ways of, of killing, you know, okay bucks. I, I really want to up the bar and it's been tough. You know, they've killed three of the four really nice big deer that, you know, I had seen in the past and really had a lot of potential. And I'm not down on them or anything like that. I'm happy for them You know, a kid killed one of them and, you know, it's awesome. I'm I'm happy for them as I can be. But at the same time, I'm like you know, it it, it it it's a lot of work. It's a lot of time. It's you know, the numbers game. They just are not working in my favor. So it's going to make this journey to to bus one hundred and forty a lot harder than I originally expected. But I'm going to hang in there.
0: What um do most people in, in your area? Do you think they you know, practice different you know different forms or uh, methods of quality deer management. Are they letting young bucks walk? Have, have you noticed any kind of shift or change in the hunting culture around your area?
1: Well, you know it's it's tough to say because there's there's really not a lot of hunters where I am. Um, this particular area that I'm in is fairly populated, but there's also some really big tracts of timber in between, so it's there's not a lot of hunters here fortunately um there could be way more um you know given the amount of land that's around me that could be hunted um but I pretty much tried to secure I'd say it's probably all in total between the neighbors that I've met and you know what they own and um the biggest landowner behind me has about 400 acres that is all cleared now um, and, and he doesn't really have anybody hunt so I've kind of gotten all of that under my wing so to say that I know nobody is actively hunting um, the biggest piece of property that's next to me that is hunted is they are are gonna shoot uh, a lot of bucks and it's a pretty big club they're all, they're all rifle hunters for the most part um, I talk with them pretty frequently about what they're seeing there's there's one or two that really you know, have my kind of outlook on the whole thing is that well, I want to kill a big deer. Um, but you know, a lot of people are out there for for you know just the joy of hunting and and meat and killing deer, and that's great. And you know, I'm happy for them. It's just I know we have two two totally different views when it comes to the way we do it on my side and the way they do it, and that's what I got to live with. And you know, I I hope that there's not a lot of hunters that come into this area that. You know just want to you know kill a kill 110 inch buck and they're happy and you know all that i really hope they don't but at the same time they have all every right that i do to shoot what they want and pass what they want and the hardest part is just knowing that you know this deer that i'm letting go I, i have probably i tried to figure it up you know what from year to year the bucks that i let go do they end up on my neighbor's side do they have pictures of him Um, does he ever come back i really try to keep up with all this and it's i know it's crazy but i really am kind of obsessed when it comes to where did this deer go is he still alive did someone shoot him um did he make it to the next year how big he you know how big he is so you know i keep up with everything that they kill and everything they don't and i have a really good chance that if a buck doesn't get shot over there i'm going to have an opportunity at him the next year and that's been some good insight to know just because the way that the land lays is it works to my advantage because i have such a big track of timber and i know that if they don't kill him, I'm going to have about a 50% chance of him coming back and getting a shot at him next year. So it's definitely been a little tougher with them, um, Mm -hmm. you know, killing as many bucks as they kill on on their given property. Um, You know, and and who's to say that, you know, the the 10-pointer that I videoed that I talked about earlier that I'd seen several times during the rut, um, he was actually killed, you know, in two days he had made it about two miles. And that's where he was killed. So I know they travel way farther than what I think, and you know what I can really comprehend. But in two days, two miles is, is nothing for that buck to travel, and oh, yeah. you know it, it's tough. <laughs> it's tough to keep up with it, but I really try to and, and try to see, you know, pay attention to where there's trucks parked on the side of the road or. If I see somebody hunting somewhere and I try to keep up with them, I really try to, to, you know, at least talk with everybody in the area to see what they're, what they're shooting, what they're seeing, you know, and, and you can, you can tell a lot real quick by talking to somebody, you know, what their aspirations are. And, you know, sometimes they're, they're to to my, you know, what, what I like to do. And then sometimes they're, they're shooting the first bite full corner they see, and, you know, you got to deal with it. So.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, I, it, it doesn't take long to, to talk with someone and figure out kind of where they are as a hunter. I mean, you know, whether they start talking about something that doesn't make any sense or, or what, but yeah, that that's, um, you know, that, that's one of the issues, um, in the South that I don't think really gets talked about a lot. Um, I've had some conversations with different people that, or kind of outside the South, you know, when people talk about, you know, they'll, you know, have multiple encounters with like maybe one particular buck throughout a season or like multiple seasons. Yeah. I'm not saying it can't happen, but it's, I think it's a lot more rare in the South because kind of what you're describing is sounds a lot like where I hunt South Carolina, where our property is. You know, it, it's, uh, it's all rural country, but it, man, it's people hunt. I mean, people hunt right. starting in August or, you know, a little bit in August, they really fire up in September and they're hunting all the way to, all the way to the season's over. And, you know, some kind of right. come and go some someone hunting rut, but like the land gets hunted. I mean, of course not, not every property hunted, but man, it it, it is intense and, uh, um, right. you know, I've got bucks that I'll get on camera, you know, that season and, and I'll get some, I'll get a, some bucks that, that, that I get a, a couple years in a row, but it's not like we see them 10 times before we shoot them. It, 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 it's right. um, so like, I might have some bucks on camera and I'd love to shoot one, but if another one comes in, I'm not going to wait for the, I'm, I'm not going to, it's just, <laughs> it's tough. And, you know, some of our yeah. neighbors, um, you know, they, they, they hunt legally, but they're not doing, they're not shooting what we shoot. I mean, we, we've got some dog hunters around us and that that's still a very big thing in the Carolinas. Um, and when you're running dogs, I mean, you know, you, you're, you might see a flash of antlers, but you don't know if it's 140 inch or, you know, 40, yeah. I mean, you don't know if it's 40 inches. I mean, it's just, you see of right. antlers, you're just shooting. Um, right. <laughs> so it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's difficult, but I mean, you know, it sounds like you have set goals for yourself. Um, that's a challenge, and and that's what you strive for. I mean, just like the 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 bucks we shoot. I mean, I I think people w- would be surprised. I mean, they're not one fifties, one sixties. I mean, they they are big South Carolina bucks for 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 us, but they're not they're not going to make it to the cover of some kind of deer magazine, you know. Right. Be a state yeah. record, but, they're, but they're good goals, and they're kind of good for what we do. And I, I, I think it takes maybe like, I don't know, maybe 5,000 acres. It, it takes a, a big chunk of several thousand acres for you to really be able to kind of call your own shots, meaning a lot of deer aren't really leaving for the most part, especially if someone has like 10,000 acres. I mean, that's just insane amount to where you can really kind of control a lot more. But sure. if you got like, if you got a hundred acres or a couple hundred acres, man, your neighbors, <laughs> they control a lot more than what you think. Um, oh,
1: for sure. And, and they, you know, I always, uh, this is something that I think about more than anything when it comes to some of these bugs is, you know, you mentioned the 10,000 acres or even the two, 3,000 acres and, and how to manage it and, and what bucks to shoot. And, you know, that's always to me, it seems like, and I've never been in a, a club or anything, but it seems like, you know, everybody has their set goals of, hey, this is what we want to shoot, or this is what we want to let go. And, you know, you always have the whole call debate, which I am as anti call as anybody you've probably ever talked to. Um, I, I think it's an imaginary term that some hunters use to kill a buck. And, you know, I think that's, somewhat of an excuse for a lot of people to kill a a buck that may not have a you know a huge rack on both sides or you know be as symmetrical as they like to and you know I I have a six-pointer on my property that um, he's four and a half this year and he is just uh he's barely a six-pointer um and he was he's pretty much identical to to you know what he was last year and I see that buck and I'm I'm thinking to myself, you know, anybody in my position that knows this buck was a six pointer last year, that's a six pointer this year is going to say, hey, you know, this is what we consider a cold buck. We're going to kill him, and you know, while yes, maybe that may be the case, and I had an opportunity at him this year, and I think he's four and a half. He could be five and a half. I'm really not sure. I had an opportunity to see him in person this year and he's a huge deer i mean he really is impressive for what he is um got to see him one time is the only time i've ever seen this buck he's very very elusive and you know i thought about it and <laughs> as i had him at 20 yards i'm sitting there just videoing him i'm not done even having my bow in my hand and you know i'm, I'm thinking you know what is this buck going to produce in the future going forward and that's when i start to get way more technical and way more i try to have the biggest outlook on you know the possibility of bucks down the road and i think a lot of hunters don't really know what kind of effect they have when they don't kill or kill a buck going forward um you know a lot of people never even consider the amount of influence a doe has on what that buck's going to be um you know their offspring is going to be and that that all comes down to a way scientific you know that the size of the chromosome at inception is going to you know whether the bucks or the does chromosome is bigger is going to have an effect on you know what genes are going to be pulled from and you know it, it's very very possible for a very inferior three and a half, four and a half, five and a half year old buck to possess genes that will grow a big deer. And a lot of people don't realize that. And that makes it tougher because you can't control what you think you can. And, you know, you've got so much going on with breeding and fawns and, you know, what, what doe is going to produce the biggest buck is the missing piece of the puzzle that nobody knows and nobody can control. and And what genes does the buck that you think is inferior, what you know, what does he possess that could grow a, you know, a hundred and fifty, hundred and sixty inch deer. There's no way to determine that because going forward, that buck may breed with a doe that possesses all the right things to grow that deer. And, you know, that that's what you can't control. That's the hard part of of the whole, you know, we want to grow big deer, we want to kill big deer. You you can't control it. Um you know, and you look at the Drury's and, you know, all of your, your big time hunters out in Iowa and in places like that. And they have their coal bucks and, you know, so on and so forth. They want to grow this, they want to grow that. And, you know, maybe they know something that I don't know, but when I look at the the bigger picture, it's impossible, especially for me having a hundred acres. That six pointer is, you know, I'm not going to four years from now, I'm not going to be looking at a six pointer. It looks just like and saying, well, dang, I guess I should have shot him. It, it's never going to happen. It can't. It's, there's too many variables that are going to determine what his offspring is going to be and, you know, how far they're going to go from me. You know, a lot of people don't realize that a farm or, or, you know, even up to a, a one or two year old buck is not going to live where he's birthed. He's just not going to. He's going to venture so far off your property. You're never going to you're never going to make that connection again um it's just impossible to control and you know always uh, I, I guess a friend of a friend killed a buck over here uh recently kind of close to me and I went and um I, I'm a big predator hunter and I have a lot of thermal and I went and helped track this buck down and he's got kind of a blade on one side and you know a lot of people see those kind of bucks out in the wild and the first thing they're going to do is shoot them and you know genetics in bucks aren't one-sided or the other a buck can't genetically grow a spike on one side and a pretty six point you know mainframe on the other side it's not possible um that's not the way genes work that's not the way genetics are are made in these in these animals and you know it always derives from an injury and i think that you know that also influences a lot of people to kill a deer that they really shouldn't is because of an injury, you know, that buck may have shed um, a little early. He may have pulled off part of that pedicle that, you know, has caused it to form differently and and be like that for the rest of his life. Um, he may have some other head injury that you, you don't know about and that causes that buck to be a spike. So he shot this buck and he's got, you know, a really nice side and then kind of a, a spike or, you know, a couple points on the one side and, me being the, the you know fanatic that I am, and I'm I'm always interested to know why. And I'm looking around the base of this antler burr, and there's just pus everywhere. Mm-hmm. And you know that just goes to show you that that buck has an injury somewhere underlying that you can't see that has caused him to grow like that. And you know this buck maybe have been breeding those, you know, and is going to have the the best looking offspring you could ever imagine because he's that's never going to be passed down and I think that's just um, you know another part of growing deer and you know what you think you can control and what you can't is you don't know those factors that are you know kind of contributing to every buck you see and you know that that makes it even harder sometimes when you know you got neighbors that see that and they're killing him on the spot and You know, it's just, (laughs) it's just part of, part of having neighbors and people that don't care to know the ins and outs of why some of these bucks grow like they do. And I really feed off of that. And I really enjoy, you know, knowing that, Hey, this buck, if he makes it could potentially grow a big deer down the road. And I try to have that outlook, you know, as well, I try to be as open minded as I can when it comes to, you know, this small piece of property, you know, it's never going to do me any good to to kill a buck that just looks inferior. It's never going to benefit me. It's only going to hurt me.
0: That's a yeah. You you said a lot, and I and I I think I think I agree with everything. I mean, I it's um you know uh the National Deer Association just had a post this week um about an, another study um GPS you know, tag collar study out in Texas where it was like a, it was like over so many deer and offspring because um, they can do that kind of stuff out in Texas and really kind of monitor right. a little bit better. But it was like 120 inch or, or a buck that never went over like 123 or six, whatever it is. And it produced like the best offspring as far as the antlers for, for the offspring than like any other buck that was so much bigger. So it's yeah, it's just people... Sometimes people want that, they want that easy button and they want to feel like, okay, well, I can just, I'm going to shoot this scrawny looking eight point thin racked eight point and get them out of the gene pool. And, um, and then I'll, you know, I'll, I'll only have big, you know, heavy antlered eight points or, you know, shoot all the six points, you know, that, that, that a deer should never be a six point that they should, you know, um, go right into an aid and just kill them, and it's just it it, it doesn't um, it it's crazy that people think they can do that, but it's just some of these old wise tales and myths, and as far as hunting, just will just will not go away, even when there's just continued just research and data backed that is not sponsored by like right. a company. That's the thing is like when this stuff comes out it's not monetized. It's not like it's a, a company that's trying to sell you something else. And so they're trying to, you know, manipulate the research. This mean, it's, is, it's, I mean, it's kind of research that people should be loving to read because it's like, it's, it's, it's real content. But yeah, you're, you're right. And, that, and that's why, you know, going back over the years at our place, you know, we have a lot of guests that come up and some guests are real experienced, more experienced than, than you and me. And some of our guests are are first-time hunters and and very, very, very green. And so, you know, when someone's green or not used to look at antlers, you 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 can show them a big buck, but you you I'm really trying to stress on body size and really trying right. to stress on basically shooting age. So it you know, we we had a big old six point um, Older buck and that, that for back in I think 14 or 16, he was killed. We had on a couple of years, but I don't really, I don't get caught up on, on, uh, you know, inches and scores. I, I, I prefer age. I mean, I guess right. the age structure to me is what I would rather see on my property. And then two is like, well, what's the tougher kill? Is it the six-year-old six point? Or the 150 inch three year old. I mean, is it's, it's going to be the yeah. six year old? It, it doesn't matter if he's a spike. He's going to be older. And older. Right. You know, the size of antlers <laughs> doesn't make the deer smarter. It doesn't make him harder to kill. It doesn't make. Oh. I mean, it it doesn't. You know, the only thing that we are seeing is that there there was a pretty cool study Mississippi State University did a couple of years ago where they, of course, a pen raised deer, but they would. Um, they paired up the, the bucks with, with those that were receptive, you know, in heat and ready to breed and see, you know, which, which buck the doe went to. Of course, these are different, different age bucks, different size antlers. And then they would take the same doe. And of course, they wouldn't let them breed, I guess. And they would saw the antlers off. And of course, the pen, I, mm-hmm. I guess I, I guess they put them down, not put them down, but I guess they put them under and they would, and they <laughs> sawed off the antlers and then they screwed them in into the other set of antlers. So th- they basically switched the antlers. So, so I guess they sawed them off a little bit, you know, a little bit short, have some space to drill it in. Right. So they put the bigger antlers on the smaller, younger buck. And then the, that doe was actually going with the bigger set of antlers. So that was, that was kind of a cool study because they were suggesting that study that Maybe the size of antlers is something a little bit more as far as breeding. Maybe these does are looking at these bucks like the ones with the bigger antlers are maybe the more fit. They're they're the best of their species as far as breeding purposes because that's their goal is to breed and continue species. So that was kind of neat um, to see something like that. But yeah, I mean, I I'd rather hunt and kill an age than you know than you know, anything else. But yeah it it gets to be difficult and like i said earlier some some of our neighbors they do not have the same goals and management styles we do but you know it's like if something becomes not fun if if the hunting becomes not fun then you just got to you got to stop what you're doing and just and just rethink the process um, I agree yep because it's it, it it it's tough it's tough um yeah i mean that's that's wild taking off for a rutcation having having 16 or 17 different buck encounters i mean that that's um that's a lot um what is about bow hunting that just i mean you're obviously hooked what is it about bow hunting that just has you hooked that you don't really even want to you know pick up a, a rifle
1: well it's to me it's a challenge and you know a lot of my friends and everybody knows that you know it's that that's what drives me is I want the hardest hunt possible I want the worst conditions you know the the worse it is the more miserable it is the harder the hunt I'm going to be in for that um you know and I I, they give me a hard time I send them I've got snapchat and I send them snaps of you know all these bucks just basically at the base of the tree and they're like you're the craziest person I've ever seen and I'm like look it's give me something tougher you know that that's kind of how I look at it is these three-year-old bucks and even a couple of the four-year-olds are you know I've got them pegged and it's it's become such a I'm not going to say habit it's it's just repetition is what's going to produce that every single every single time and and knowing where to be when to be there and and that's i'm not going to say it's easy because a three and definitely a four-year-old buck is still very hard to kill or get in bow range um but it's just the 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 hardest i want the hardest buck on this property i want the most nocturnal i want the most elusive the one that's hardest to pattern that's what i want to go after whether he be you know, 150 inch buck, or whether he be a 125 inch six year old that's been hiding, you know, the past year or two and hasn't been out in daylight, he's going to come out in daylight at some point and I'm going to try to be there. So that's really what drives me is, you know, one, you got to get the opportunity at him. So that's the hardest part is getting that opportunity at that buck. Um, You know, once you get past that hurdle, well, now you've got to have him in bow range and you got to be able to make a shot and if it's during the rut you've got so much going on you've got a doe that you also have to have cooperate um so you've got double the, the toughness there because you're really depending on her to you know either lead him the right way or you know hope that she's got him distracted enough to get off the shot and and that's really what I enjoy most is it just being so tough to kill a deer that's bigger than what I've already killed, and I, I love it. I, I keep feeding off of it, and you know I may not kill another buck for five years, and I'm okay with that. um Still, not saying I wouldn't shoot, you know, 130 inch deer because I definitely will. But the majority of my time and effort is going to go into really trying to track down and kill a 140 plus inch deer, and and where I am, it's, it's going to take a while. I know that. Um, you know so that's part of it is it's just being the toughness to track one down and get him killed and um and that's why I'm continually I'm on the move all year long because I'm I'm not prepping to you know I'm not doing all this work early in the year and and during the rut for what I what bucks I've got there that I don't want to shoot I'm looking to see what they're doing when they're doing it we you know why they're doing it and i use all of that to really try to give me the best knowledge that i can for when the time comes i'm going to be in the best spot that i can possibly be to make it count because i know it's going to be you know less than half a percent chance and when i get that chance i got to make it count and that that's you know this year has really opened up my eyes to another aspect of this property that i have that I found a very interesting spot that I wanted to hunt during the rut and I hunted there and I noticed that the deer were, they weren't going where I thought they would and it really kind of threw me off and I said, you know, if there was a big deer that come off of this hillside, um, I'm going to miss it. I'm I'm not going to have a shot at him. And I'm like, I just don't know why they're going the direction they're going. So that. You know, at that point it's go time for me. Now I'm on the move. I'm trying to figure out why these deer are doing what they're doing. Um, not because I wanna get up close to these, you know, two, three and four year old bucks, occasionally a four year old, um, but mainly the two and three year old bucks, why are they going the direction they're going? And when that mature buck comes through here, if he does, why is he going the way that they're going? So I've gotta that's when the, the clock starts. Okay, now I gotta make a move. You know, I'm back on to them trying to figure out what they're doing and I've done something this year that's I've never done before and it's really opened my eyes is I said okay well these deer are getting to this point in this timber and they're all going one direction or the other and I'm like what makes them want to go this way instead of this way and it's kind of hard to you really have to be there to understand so I said you know what I'm gonna pretty much I'm gonna I'm gonna be a deer um I got down I went to the spot where the intersection was and I just looked and when you look at it from the ground from a deer's perspective one side looks way more appealing than the other it's not um you know as far as cover and trees and brush and logs they got to step over but from you know I, I basically put myself in the position to where if I was lost in the woods and I'm walking down through here and I see this trail or this trail. Well, I don't blame the deer. I'm going this way too because it looks more appealing. Now, it could be the brush behind it or, you know, the trees that are behind it that makes it look so much more like so much more of a hard trail to go down or, you know, so that really has added another challenge to to me is to figure out okay, well now these these bucks are going to go this way because it looks way different to them down here on the ground than it does to me 25 foot up in this tree. And I see the cleanest, nicest looking trail down this ridge you could imagine. But when I got down there to it, I realized that, hey, you know, and I know deer see way different than we do. So I'm trying to imagine, you know, what they're seeing, it looks way more dense, complex. They're gonna have to work to get down this trail as opposed to this one. They're gonna take the easy road. And, you know, so that's added a whole nother step to my process is, trying to figure out, you know, and, and get one step closer to being in the right spot when that time comes. And that's just another part of the challenge. I think a lot of people don't really care to, to know or care to do because it's, you know, now I'm, I'm, you know, here I am the second day of the rut, I'm moving a stand, (laughs) you know, 20 yards. And most people be like, well, that's crazy. Well, it's really not. If you, you look and, and, you see what I see and you get down there and figure out, well, you know, you've got a better chance of this buck going this way or this way. And it just you really put a lot of time and effort into making something that's really, really tough easy at the time of. And to me that's just part of the challenge and why I enjoy it so much.
0: Yeah, it's um it's definitely a whole process and and you and you gotta be flexible and you gotta, and you gotta be able to make decisions. My decisions on the fly. And, uh, that's, you know, that, that's why I, I, you know, I like to consume a lot more, uh, science based and research based content about deer and deer hunting, just because y- you learn what they do. You learn the behavior and you learn whether they eat or they like to bed. That's the kind of stuff in my opinion that, you know, will make you a better hunter. Um, because, you know, it's just, you know, that's in, in, and, and it sounds like to me, I mean, how you hunt, where you hunt, you, you need to put, uh, you know, every, every, the best foot forward. We, let's, sure. let, let's talk about a minute, a little bit about trail cameras. Um, sure. you, you've talked a lot about, a lot about having, you know, like known bucks in the area and knowing where some bucks bad or some deer bed and going to White Oaks. And you've already mentioned trail cameras. Can you know, walk us through the typical year as far as when and how you use trail cameras, where you place them as far as the, the terrain, height, yep. and everything else? Because, you know, people talk about trail cameras all the time, but they don't. I don't think they really kind of deep dive into how they use them.
1: Right. Yep. so this goes back to, you know, er, as mobile as my stands are, my cameras are every bit as mobile, if not more um i typically run about 10 cameras on my 100 acres um that's that's the roundabout number and um early in the year they're really close to um food and bedding it's typically where i like to have them i I run a couple mineral sites i'll I'll get some inventory you know and good info there Um, once october hits i am i have already moved to scrape areas i know pretty much on this entire property. I know where every major scrape is going to be and when it's going to be there. And that's where probably more than half of my cameras are going to be are on those scrapes because now I'm, you know, food is off my mind, you know, by the first or second week in October and scrapes are on my mind. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to move everything off of these, you know, food areas or areas that they travel, you know, early in the year in the late summer and I'm on a scrape somewhere, or I'm on a, you know, a ridge that's going to get a lot more travel as these bucks start to kind of cruise. And, you know, the, the first couple of weeks in October, they're going to be slow. You're not going to have a lot of action on those cameras, but the first buck or doe or whatever it is that comes in there to that scrape, well, now it's on. You know, they've turned that light switch on, and I've got my camera there, and I'm taking inventory, and I'm figuring out, you know, where these bucks are. I know where they're coming from, now i got to figure out okay well what scrape are they at why are they at this scrape and then what's the next destination so that that starts the whole second tier of the year for me is you know now i'm on scrapes and now i'm on trails that these bucks are going to be cruising that's kind of where the turning point is for me from early in the year um you know mid mid october to probably the last week in november i am on scrapes and on major trails that i know these bucks are going to be using, and I may—I've got a couple spots that, you know, especially on the one of the better spots that I've got, I've got three cameras in a span of about sixty yards, and it's because on those big ridges, those bucks are cruising. You know, you're going to miss one of them if you have one camera on that hillside. So I will use that, especially the the week or two that I'm going to hunt. Um, my cameras are all packed into this one location that I know that if anything comes through there, I want to know when, where, what time, and which direction is he going. So from there, you know, I take that info and I have an idea of which direction they're heading at what time and kind of start building up an image of what's getting the most used and where, and that's where I'm going to be. So, you know, after that, I'm I'm switching to Back to trails late in the year, Um, I kind of start regrouping because everything that was here in November, um, a lot of the bucks are gone. And they've moved on to somewhere else after that second week in November. So now I'm trying to pick up, okay, well, any new buck that's coming onto the property, where is he going to come from? And, you know, I want to catch him walking by to see what he is. That's kind of what I tend to do later in the year is I'm back to Where, you know, where's gonna give me the best chance of finding these bucks coming onto the property? Are they gonna come from my neighbors? More than likely, yes. And that's where I'm gonna kind of stage a couple more cameras to see what's coming, you know, from their place to mine and, you know, in all directions too. So it's kind of a three, I make three big moves. Um, Obviously you're the first of the year, I'm close to bedding um, and food just to get some inventory on a mineral site or whatnot. And then, you know, the big move in October is all scrapes and, you know, travel corridors for the rut, everything I try to plan for at least two weeks in advance. And then, you know, after that last week in November, well, now I'm back trying to find new inventory, trying to figure out what's coming into the property, where they're coming from and, and catching them that way. So that's typically the, you know, kind of what I do. And I normally run about 10 cameras. to me that's a good even number uh you know to spread out on 100 acres um i know i miss a lot because i've seen it you know sitting up there i've actually seen it you know a book that i've never seen before or you know may have seen but don't have any pictures of recently he walked right behind it and keep on going and you know never walked by a camera so you know you you that's always in the back of your mind as well too is you know you're going to miss them i don't care how many cameras you have out there you're going to miss bucks going through there and a, you know a lot of people say don't be a camera hunter and it's very very true um you can't be because you know they're not going to walk in front of your camera every single time just because you have it out that's not the way that works unfortunately but um a lot of people you know say don't be a camera hunter and i agree Uh, i've got some great video from this year when i was you know off hunting during the rut the morning those three bucks are in there they were in there for probably 10 minutes running these does around and i got one blurry picture of the doe in front of my camera and it wasn't but 30 yards in front of me so that also you know you sit back and think wow you know what have i missed and then you think you know what have i missed you know that's come through that i've i've not seen or don't know is you know lurking somewhere close by so that's kind of how i run them uh, keep them moving you know don't rely on one spot throughout the entire year to to be good for cameras because it's just not you're going to you're going to miss you know important stuff you know if you if you run them that way in my opinion of course now i know everything is different on you know, big open fields or food plots or stuff like that, you have a totally different way of running cameras. You can leave a camera there, you know, maybe the entire year, and you're going to get pictures. But big, you know, dense timber, you you have to stay mobile with them.
0: Yeah, I would agree, definitely. And, you know, it what you talked about as far as cameras, is spot on I mean I, I think uh, sometimes pe- people get caught up in that day too about you know cameras about you know just assuming that they show you everything's happening in the woods and they, and they don't. I mean yeah. um, a camera only it only captures what it happens to trigger um, and then capture in front of it and there's times when I've you know I, I'll run you know survey type sites in the summer and then again maybe in August or September, um, different spots for maybe a week or 10 days with some corn or some kind of a just to try to see, you know, how many does have coming in or, or, or particular bucks. And then I'll put them on just, you know, all the other parts of the season. I just have them on trails or like, you know, uh, permanent, you know, uh, food sources, but they only get what they get. And there's times where I'll have a survey spot with some corn out in front of it. And all the corn's gone. It was was a lot of it. And I have, and I don't have enough pictures. And like, and and you know, the camera didn't, it it didn't trigger every time it should have. Or, you know, you have it out in the woods, not on food, not on anything you put out, just just a good trail. And you get that buck that comes through, whether it's a nice three year old or or something bigger. And it looks right at the camera or it senses something and then, you know, it moves on, but you never get them again on that particular one. Right. and it's like he didn't leave the county he probably just i mean I, i'm assuming this is a big assumption but he's probably he probably potentially knew something was there because i mean i can't tell you how many times i've gotten a buck even older bucks in in those too they'll stop in front of a camera and just look at it and
1: yep. there's no
0: corn i didn't put anything out they're just look like they know something's up with it i'm not seeing it spooking them but they know something's going on. They hear something or something, and and it can it can help when a deer stops and kind of poses for you to get a um, a photo. But when I started to hunt more mobily, which was definitely in four, starting in fourteen and twenty fifteen, just kind of almost exclusively on my climber, you start to realize that like you know you can sit on on a good tree, and you know in our planted pines you know, there's like good trails everywhere. I mean, you can sit on one trail and not have a deer walk down your trail for five sets, but they're all over the place. I mean, they're going from point A to point B, but how they get there is different every time. And maybe, it, sure. maybe it shifts yep. or maybe, you know, a coyote or a hunt, maybe got a whiff or something and just moved around, but they're going to do about the same thing. And that's why, like what you said, being, being able to adjust, Throughout the season being mobile that's what's key because they're still doing the same things they're just they just adapt oh yeah adapt to us yep and that's right that's right yeah that do so what do you do you have certain goals that you, so when does y'all when does your season run out up there i know i know it goes in january
1: so so I've got a a couple spots. One one runs out, you know, I think it's the middle of January, like January 15th, and then I actually have another spot that, you know, is considered we've got several counties in the state that don't actually run out uh until February. So, uh, you know, it's I've got I've got until February um to to, to keep after it.
0: Yeah, that's um That's probably, so what do you, are you going to be hunting pretty intensely over over Christmas and New Year's or what are you thinking?
1: Yeah, well, I, you know, again, this time of year, I've killed, I've killed several does this year. So, um, I've got them out of the way at this point, you know, I'm, it's raining down here today. I was going to try to hunt today. Um, don't know if I will, but I typically this time of year, I'll still hunt some, but I'm really waiting on a target to show up whether it be at one o'clock in the morning or you know tomorrow at one o'clock in the morning or maybe it may be you know January 20th and I've got 10 days to get it done I'm really waiting on another target to show up to go after Um, you know I love to to hunt like anybody I love to sit in a tree and and just watch deer and hope to get lucky but for me that's never going to be as fun as finding a target and really going after it. Um, you know, I've killed a couple bucks that I've just, you know, sat in the tree and they walked out and I shot them and that was the end of it. Um, but I typically, this time of year, I'm really looking for a target to go after, to pin down and then to kill. That's, that's, that's what I do all year long. But this time of year specifically, I don't, I don't get after it and really hunt as much as I would any other time of the year. I'm really waiting on, you know a target to show up somewhere or if I get some intel that there is a really big deer close by, that'll usually, you know, perk my attention and I'll start hunting, you know, a little more, maybe trying to see him first and then make a move and, you know, do that as well. But I'll still hunt. Um, you know, I, I like sitting out there and just hunting like anybody else and gathering intel. That's that's what I'm doing. I'm trying to figure out where these deer lay in this time of year, you know, where are they coming from? Where are they going? Um you know, are the bucks with them? Are they not with them? You know, all that stuff is going to, again, it's all going to lead up to if I get a buck on camera at a certain spot, um, I'm going to have a pretty good idea of where he's going to be and, you know, how to how to hunt him. And that, so that's kind of what I do this time of year. It's just looking for a target and, you know, pursuing him after that. Usually once we get a buck this time of year uh, onto, onto the property, he's usually going to stay so that's the good part is once one shows up you know it's usually he's going to give me an opportunity now he may not show up until the 20th and i may have 10 short days and i work a lot and you know i don't get a lot of time to hunt unfortunately which really makes it even harder for me um with my kind of my style is uh, i've got two days a week to hunt and i take off during the rut but other than that that's it i've got two days and uh, the weather's got to be perfect and the wind has to be perfect um you know and sometimes like mother nature is she's not going to give you everything you want and you know i may have to i may have a big deer on camera that i want to hunt and i just can't so i have to go sit somewhere else and you know two or three hundred yards away and know that he's going to show up up there but the wind just didn't allow me to hunt or you know for whatever it is that happens occasionally but um that's that's what i do this time of year i'm waiting on the target to show up and then i'm gonna i'm gonna be back 100 miles an hour
0: that's right you gotta you gotta get there and hunt you know you, you gotta that's what i always tell people you gotta get out there and, and, and hunt various conditions i mean just kind of hunt that season just go when you can go um yep. learn everything you can i mean you'll, you'll be surprised what you see i mean some of these people some of these you know hunting influencers and hunting you know quote celebrities that are out there and um you know some of them hunt a lot And then some of them might have a farm in Iowa or Kansas or somewhere that doesn't really get hunting months, low pressure. And they go out for a rutcation and they, you know, kill a, kill a big big buck every year. And that's, and that's the only thing they're doing. You know, they're, they're just, they're hunting the same week during November, killing a buck and that's it. And it's like, I'm not saying that they don't know what they're doing, but, People like you and me that are out throughout the entire season, grinding it out, killing does, killing bucks. You just you're seeing and doing a lot more than someone that goes out and is hunting one time a year. It, it just I, that's just my yeah. opinion. Um, I mean, yeah. you just you're, you're not going to. Pro- I don't think you're. I don't think a hunter's going to progress. I'm not saying that they're not going to be as good or not going to be a good hunter, but they're not going to progress as a hunter unless you're out there doing and trying different things. Cause I mean, it's a wild animals. They're not predictable. You know, if it was right. easy, it was easy. Everyone, their brother would go out and kill a big buck every, every weekend. It's not.
1: <laughs> yep. Yep. And that's, you know, I, I think about it too, a lot. And you mentioned just going out and trying to get better and, that's really what I try to do and I'll be the first to admit you know I'm not when I am not the best shot when it comes to a big deer I've unfortunately made some bad shots due to you know the yardage or whatever it may be or you know I've I hate to say this on a podcast but I probably miss more bucks than some people I've ever seen um <laughs> I get I get a little nervous a little shook up um I've missed a lot of really really nice deer and that's one thing that you know, I've got to to figure out going forward that I've got to make every single shot count, you know, when given the opportunity. The the hardest part is always going to be the opportunity and, you know, once you get there you gotta make the shot and that you know, a big part of it. Dude, killing a big deer, you gotta make a big shot. And I, I struggle with that sometimes. And, you know, on paper I'm I would put myself up against anybody on paper. I shot, you know, three D for a long time, um and won a couple of events and did really well. And that's an aspect that I don't know how you get better at it until you just keep doing it. And, you know, I try to you know, that may be why I work as hard as I do to, to get closer and closer and closer and you know, give myself the best possible opportunities because I'll be the first to admit, you know, sometimes I struggle with, with making a perfect shot. And, you know, this year I've, I've, you know, been absolutely spot on and, you know, I've, I've killed every deer I've shot and, um, everything's been fine, but, you know, I've, over the past five years, I've missed out on some really, really big deer because of, you know, that just, uh, not a poorly placed shot, but, you know, maybe just, that i haven't recovered you know two specifically that were both really big old mature deer that i had my sights on and wanted to wanted to kill and um you know i'm always going to have that opportunity to to you know get better at that and i've got to work on that and that's what i you know going forward i try to try to do A, a good friend of mine who i hunt with a lot um he's he's probably one of the better shots on a, on a I hate to admit this cause I know he's going to listen to this at some point but you know if he gets a buck in range he, he's he's going to absolutely smoke it every single time and I'd envy him for that and you know that's what I've got to work on going forward and that's just another piece of the puzzle that you've got to got to work on and you know the only way to do it is to put yourself in those opportunities and start making it count every single time. So that's, that's really what I've got to work on and try to get better at. And, um, you know, that, that's kind of my outlook.
0: Yeah. I like that. Yeah. What, what I tell people, um, you know, if they're new and getting to hunting or maybe they have a bad shot on something is it's to go out it's just to go out and, and hunt again and maybe shoot the first doe. I mean, you know, like some of my friends that have come and hunted with, hunting with me that maybe didn't grow up hunting and, you know, they, they might have a bad shot on a buck or, or just a bad shot on a doe. And I just tell them just, you know, practice shooting, but then just shoot every doe you can. Eventually you're going to see a buck, but the, the more shots you take on live animals and especially like recovery, because that, that's a big part that like, you know, you can you can you, you can practice shooting all you know all, all you can wherever rifle or, or bow archery, but the recovery, that's something that like it just you can't mimic that. You know, you you can't really practice that, and sometimes that can be a definitely a challenge for people. Um, oh, yeah. You know, especially you know, if you're by yourself and you and you and you have doubts or your all, all those emotions are going through your head, it's it's definitely better sometimes to have a buddy there with you that can kind of keep you level-headed and keep you keep keep your mind straight about finding the deer. You know. um
1: Oh yeah, and you know, I
0: particularly
1: I hunt alone. Um, I, I like to hunt alone. I don't particularly care to you know whether I'm hunting here or going out of state which I you know I try to go at least every other year out of state somewhere and hunt public land or wherever um I like to go alone I like to do it alone that's just my style I don't I don't you know I, I've never I don't, I don't do guides I don't do guided hunts that's just not my thing and uh, I have to I'm I'm as colorblind as I can be and I always have to <laughs> depend on somebody that you know come help me recover sometimes when i do you know shoot shoot a big deer or something and you know and I, I, I listen as i listen to robbie's you know when you and he were talking um i've never actually met robbie but i've talked to him a couple of times he's good friends with one of my best friends so I, I, i was listening to him talk about the broadheads and you know what he uses and what people use and mechanical and all this and i'm i'm always going to be the firm believer and you know the bucks that i've lost have been 100 percent my fault um they haven't been the broadheads fault they, they've they been my fault i, I wanted to blame the, the broadhead and not getting the penetration i needed or you know if it had been this head then i would have recovered this buck you know i, I thought about that for a little while and then i was like you know what it's just it, it's on me it's my fault um you know that's a, a hard part hard reality of it sometimes is admitting to that and You know, I still use both heads to this day. I use fixed and mechanical and whether I make an absolute perfect shot or, you know, a marginal shot, I've got to call in help. You know, most of the time I'm calling in help, you know, my my buddy, Chris, He'll come help, you know, if I if I need be, or I can't see blood at all, hardly. I mean, <laughs> if he doesn't fall inside, I'm usually going to need help. But I've got a thermal that I use, too, and um, I've actually recovered a couple bucks with it. Um, that has been pretty neat, and that's a, that's a tool that, you know, is very, very valuable, you know, for somebody like me, for sure. You know, especially the last buck that I recovered with it, um, a guy shot down the road, and they were walking all over the top of this thing. And, you know, I showed up with it and they said, you know, I don't have a lot of blood. We found some, but then, you know, it kind of dried up and I walked in the woods and walked right to it. And they had been stomping all over this thing for 15 or 20 minutes before I got there and had no idea. So, you know, that's another part of it that, you know, a lot of people really need to think about is, you know, call a dog or get help don't be afraid to to get that help when you need it because i know i sure need it and I, i'm gonna take advantage of it if i can get some help
0: definitely yeah it, it's uh there's a there's a lot that goes into recovery um that definitely really get talked about and sometimes man uh sometimes it, it's i mean you might have might be hunting with four or five different hunters but sometimes it, it's you don't really need everyone out there i mean if it, if if someone's not if someone does not know what they're doing, then they're, I hate to say it, but they will be detrimental. I mean, I was yep. at one way when I was younger, I wasn't the best. So I, I, I was that person one day, but I mean, if you're, if someone, you know, because some, some, you know, you get people out there and they just want to go watch the football game or, or go drink beer. And they just, they just want to hurry up, you know, if they don't find yep. it if they don't find it dead, then they're just going to give up. And then, 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 then that's, they might as well not even be there. Cause it's just, it can really kind of throw everyone off. Um, yep. cause I mean, sometimes like what you said, the deer is not that far away. Sometimes it's not yep. far away and the blood. A lot of times blood does not start depending on even a bullet, a bullet or arrow, you know, you, you really, that's why I like ask so many questions when I, you know, pick up a buddy or, someone hunting on a farm about, you know, what, where we're standing, what I was doing, body language, so much of that stuff. And it's, it's frustrating and I don't blame the hunter because a lot of hunters, they they just don't know, but it's frustrating when you go to help someone and they can't tell you anything, you know, right. They can't yep. tell you where the deer ran because there was, because there was other deer and they just saw the deer running and then you're, you're starting from scratch and it could oh, be yeah it could be dead 50 yards away in this direction, but they don't think it went that direction. And it's just, uh, it can be uh, challenging to say the least. So let's, um, let's start to wrap this up and uh, I'm going to ask you the same questions I asked everybody, no right or wrong answer. It's always Of course, different. It's always nice to have some different answers, but then again, there, there are some good ones that people have been saying uh, before. So, um, first question is um, if you, if you could give a recommendation to the audience as far as some content some hunting outdoor related content that you like it could be a tv show a uh, magazine or you know a website another podcast someone you follow but uh, someone you you would suggest that you that you learn from and you think's uh pretty good pretty good outlet to follow
1: Sure. So I am, uh, I'm a very big fan of Midwest Whitetail. Um, I think those guys uh, run a really tight ship out there and specifically Jared, who yeah. unfortunately is no part of them. Um, I have followed him. I think he's one of the, uh, best hunters out there right now and doesn't get enough recognition for it I I think those guys give you a lot of really really great insight to the total picture of what goes into killing a a big deer so if that's your if that's your goal I think those guys do really good um you know another thing that I do is if I have time I'm watching somebody hunting a deer on tv or 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 youtube um whether it be a rookie that's filming a backyard hunt or somebody that's you know like don higgins or or somebody like that that's killed a bunch of big deer i'm watching them not only to see what they do to but to see how they do it more importantly i'm watching deer and seeing what they're doing and why they're doing it and you gotta absorb as much as you can but that's that's my biggest you know what what i do and what i think really helps me is is find somebody you like to watch and you know are they successful why are they successful and just feed off of it learn from them and and you know don't just don't just you know because one thing happens um whether you're watching a hunt show or you know somebody does this and scares the deer off it's not the end of the world you know just watch as much as you can as many people as you can and pick up you know don't pick up or mimic one person to a tee, but pick up on one little thing from Fifty different hunters and put them all together
0: yeah i I like that that's some good examples there um all right second question uh what's what's a go-to just favorite wild game dish that you love to cook um it doesn't have to be venison uh, what's just something that you just always look forward to eating
1: um, it's it's 100% venison. I am a I love backstrap any different way that you can cook it, make it. Um, uh, particularly, I really really like it grilled. Um, that's my go-to. I'm not a very good cook at all by any means, so for it's hard for me to mess that up. But I typically uh, Montreal steak is a really great seasoning for for anything, and you know, real light coat of olive oil. Um, backstrap cut into about inch and a half thick pieces, uh, maybe two inch and, and cook them, you know, medium rare, the, the rare you cook it, the better to me it is. Um, that's my go-to it's easy. It's really good. And, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to mess up if you don't overcook it and it's good for you. Um, I also have really gotten to like the heart on a deer mm. and, uh, my buddy, Chris, he killed a buck the other night that we've been chasing for two years. And you know he's get, he's cleaning it, getting everything, and I'm like, don't you don't you let that gut file hit the bucket, you know, before I get that heart out. So it's it's really to me, I'm I'm learning different ways to cook it. Um, I like to cut it into thin strips, bread it, and then fry it for you know maybe ten seconds on each side. It doesn't take much. It, it's hard to you know dice up, but that's becoming something I like as well.
0: Yeah, it I mean it's it's hard to beat. The backstrap, venison. I mean, it's uh, especially like you said, you 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 get some um, you get the backstrap and it's and it's and it's 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 cut out, it's skinned out, cleaned, and it's not sitting out of the deer for a long time. You get the blood drained out of it, you know, aged the right way. And just I I just like I've got right, I just like pepper, some garlic salt. Maybe some butter or olive oil, and that's it. I mean, the meat's just yeah, don't take much. So good by itself. So, what are some yep. ways you like to cook and eat hard?
1: Well, I, I like to, you know, you got to clean it very, very well. There's a, there's a like all the organs. There's a membrane on the outside of it uh-huh, that, of yeah. course, I. It. Um, I butterfly it open, and there's a lot of connective tissue that holds all the. Chain- chambers together um cut all of that out and it really by the time you're done with it once you've cut off you know all the connective tissue and membrane um and it doesn't take long it takes you know four or five minutes you can have one you know kind of cut up and ready to go um it looks like you know a piece of filet is is what it looks like it's just a very lean soft Hmm. cut of meat yeah and it heart has a different flavor Um, It's not gonna, if you're expecting it to taste like a backstrap or, you know, a tenderloin, it's not going to. Um, You have to really cook it really quick. If you overcook it, it's gonna taste like you're eating jerky that's been soaked in oil. Um, A light breading, maybe a little bit of lemon pepper. you know, a lot of people say they want to leave it in milk overnight to reduce some of the maybe acidic taste in the meat. I haven't done that yet. It doesn't bother me. Um, usually the lemon pepper is enough to you don't notice it. And then it's the main reason I like to eat it now is because it's really good for you. Um, there's a lot of stuff you get out of the heart that you don't get out of any other piece of meat on the deer. So you know, it's just another part that I have grown to really, really like. And you know, you just flash fry it on either side, and it's really, really good.
0: Nice. Yeah, the heart's something I have tried. I just haven't um haven't really got into as much. But people, pe- people swear about grilling it for tacos. I mean, I I've, yeah. I've had a I've had a number of people that I respect and that aren't. You know that aren't just. I mean, they're not frying up. You know, deer testicles. I mean, they're they're. You know, they're not eating wacky stuff, and they swear by those hard tacos.
1: Yeah, I could see that. That'd be good.
0: All right. Last question is: um, What is something that you feel like should be on people's radar as far as conservation in the South? Um, And I, you know. I asked this question because it it, it it's something that I I didn't really realize. I, I didn't you know people throw around the word conservation and I it seemed like it it gets it gets used in the, in the hunting space like outside the south, but there's a lot going on in the southeast. Mm-hmm. Um so um what what's something I mean like Robbie for instance, Robbie Pace was talking about um the salt water uh season and limits um here in coastal georgia and then and florida and south carolina there's all kinds of issues going on with like redfish and snaps especially snapper i think it's like a two day season so anyways there's various things What what's something that you feel like someone that likes the outdoors whether they hunt or not should be focused on or at least should know about the southeast conservation
1: sure. You know, anytime I think about conservation and and what's going on right now, um, the the biggest thing that, there's two big things that come to mind. Um, The first thing is, and I'm not a huge turkey hunter, um, but I do turkey hunt when given the opportunity, is the, you know, protection of nesting areas, you know, predators that are, are eating eggs and I don't have a lot of turkeys where I am. I have some really great turkey habitat, and I have occasional birds come through, but I have more raccoons than you could ever imagine. Um, I think, you know, trying to, anyone that loves to turkey hunters, considering turkey hunting in the future, should really think about, you know, how to protect chicks and eggs from predators, whether they be possums, raccoons, coyotes, anything like that. I think, predator hunting is a huge part of conservation of, you know, some of our other game species that takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of time, but that's something that everybody can do at some point to help out. And I think turkeys need more help right now than any other species in the entire state. Um, You know, when I look at my piece of property and I've got one or two birds that come through a year and, you know, I have the the best spot for turkeys that, you know, I should see a ton of turkeys here and you know I, I always go back to there. there's too many raccoons there's too many predators and you know maybe I need to do my part and start working on the raccoons I, I coyote hunt you know once or twice a week um and kill a lot of coyotes and, and you know I think that that helps I, I talked with a biologist that um used to run the U, UGA deer lab here and you know he said every coyote was responsible for at least one to two fawns and you know you think about that and you think about how many coyotes you kill and it makes up a lot and i think we could do that for for turkeys and really help them out the the other thing is you know it's gonna have a big impact the more the years go on is the development of property that's just wiping out you know tons of big timber and You know, that's something that we're never going to have a whole lot of control over. Um, You and I certainly aren't. Um, You know, there's not a whole lot you can do there. I think everybody should be aware of it and, you know, how it's happening, when it's happening. And you sit back and you look, if you could pull up a map from the 90s of, you know, the nearest city you have and look at it and then look at the aerial photograph from this year, I think everybody's going to see that embers disappearing quicker and you can't replace it. So that, yeah. I think that's
0: oh, something yeah. we all need to really be aware of. Yeah. The, 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 what you just said, the fragmentation of the land really is kind of eye opening. If you, you know, I think a lot of people look at the South. I mean, I did for a long time growing up, but just as far as, you know, you got your big cities, Jacksonville, Atlanta, Birmingham, now Chattanooga, but Columbia is a big city now, but you know, but, but everything else is just rural. And it's like, well, it's like not so much. I mean, it's just, uh, I mean, shoot from like Macon to Atlanta is just closing in. Um, Oh yeah. And we're, I mean, I'm sure you're probably seeing it. I haven't traveled from Athens to Atlanta in a while, but yeah, I mean, it's just, it, 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 there's no, when something's being developed, a new, you know, parkway road, whatever highway, nothing's in, nothing's in consideration as far as wildlife unless, there's right. like a bald eagle nest,
2: sure.
1: yeah. or maybe something like <laughs> that,
0: and that's it. And that's not really moving the meter. I mean, I, I, I like bald eagles, but that's not really helping out wildlife. And as far as the eastern wild turkey, I mean, it's like it's like there there's very few people talking about those. There's some biologists now that have been preaching, banging, banging their table when they talk for a decade or so, and people are finally starting to listen. And it looks like there's some there's some companies. I mean, Mossy Oak came out with that uh that that turkey conservation stamp last year, getting behind right. it. And then and then behind the turkey, which doesn't get that much attention, is is the bobwhite quail. You know, I mean, right. the quail is yep. really uh, that's even more forgotten. But you know, those two game birds kind of go hand in hand a lot. A lot of what you can do for one is benefiting they the really other. Um, but yeah. yeah, I mean, that that's kind of crazy to think about that. Like we really are on the ropes in a lot of areas with the Eastern wild turkey and Bob white quail. I mean, there's some, there's some areas where they're just gone. No, mean they can come back. That's crazy to think sure. about of all the good things yep. we're doing in this country, not even talking about wildlife, but we're letting that slip through the cracks. Um, I know it's
1: definitely scary. Something we all need to think about. And, yeah. you know, I mean, who, who doesn't love to see a, you know, a flock of turkeys out in a pasture, and, you know, I think about as much as I'm on the road going to work or wherever I'm going, and, um, you know, I can't tell you the last time I saw a turkey, which is, you know, kind of eye-opening, and I, I pass a lot of fields and that sort of thing, going to work, and, you know, when I'm going around, but you get into you know, Kentucky, you know, places like that. And, you know, I went up to Indiana to hunt this year and I went through Kentucky and I saw more turkeys on in a one hour, you know, drive than I've seen in a year here. So, you know, it's, it's definitely scary to think about and, you know, they're going to be really pinched down to a couple places in the next 20, 30 years and it's going to be
0: tough. That's right, absolutely well ryan i appreciate you coming on this has been fun is there anything else you want to mention that we haven't talked about yet no
1: i've uh i think we covered it all i typically am am pretty tight-lipped when it comes to <laughs> my strategy yeah. hunting, and i don't share a lot i you know, mainly because I feel like I'm crazy as much as I obsess over some of this stuff, but it's, you know, I haven't, I haven't talked a lot about kind of, you know, my strategies, what I do. I, I usually keep that, you know, to to myself and, you know, maybe somebody that's listening that's got a similar property can, can use that, you know, something in the future and benefit them, but I really enjoyed it and uh, hopefully it helps somebody somewhere, you know, gain that, gain a different aspect to, to wherever they are.
0: Absolutely. You know, i I very much enjoy enjoyed this conversation because it's you know it checks more boxes that I try to do on this podcast and that is have different people on and talk about uh, different uh, regions of the South and how you hunt. I mean, how you hunt is different than how I hunt. It's 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 different terrain. It's different timber. And you're hunting a different style that I'm not used to and I want to talk to people like you. And there's a lot of people I'm sure through a, throughout the south that that can relate to to that type of terrain. I mean shoot even like northern south like north South Carolina or northern right. South Carolina. there's gonna be some s- similar type similar type of terrain so, sure. yeah, man, hopefully someone someone can listen to this and maybe you know get after it this weekend on some deer because it's you know you, you gotta um, you're doing it the right way without question. I mean, I, it's, I mean, it, it's you're busting your ass, put, put the time in and you're hunting the deer, um, as opposed to trying to manipulate and manipulate their movement and trying to alter their movement. Cause I mean, there's different hunting styles where you're hunting the prey species on their own ground, you're trying to cut them off when they're doing their own thing and then sometimes people try to create something and you're trying to alter what they're normally would be doing to kind of fit what you want them to do to better be able to shoot them and there's nothing wrong with either one as long as they're legal but um i i love talking to people like you man because you you know (laughs) you get out there and you hunt them and uh exactly what you said you know i mean you've got certain goals you have your own personal goals and you don't let someone else your your neighbor a friend people on social media whatever dictate what you were what you don't what you do or don't do and that's yeah Yeah. that's that's what it's about you know go out hunt do it the right way be ethical moral legal and uh the ultimate goal was the venison just like what you said i mean it's you know it's the it's the bonus when you get get the antlers but uh it's that's what it should be about so ryan thanks for being on appreciate your time this podcast wouldn't Enjoy. be um certainly wouldn't be anything without guests like yourself
1: well i certainly enjoyed it and uh when, this week i'm going to i'm going to order one of those hats you got i think they look awesome so i'm going to grab grab one of those and thanks again i really appreciate it
0: Absolutely. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. And uh, we will see y'all next week.